Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Brainwaves. Hear the world differently. Bringing community mental health to you, raising awareness and challenging stigma. Tune in to 3CR Community Radio, Wednesdays at 5pm. Melbourne's Drive Time Radio Program, featuring community organisations, powerful stories and information. Find us at brainwaves.org.au. Proudly sponsored by Wellways Australia. Hello and welcome to Brainwaves on 3CR 855 AM, 3CR Digital Radio and 3cr.org.au. My name is Kaylin and this week we'll be talking to Vaz Stavropoulos, is that correct? Yes, yes, it's correct. (laughs) About internet addiction. Uh, Vaz is a member of the Australian Psychology Society and a registered psychologist endorsed in clinical psychology with the Australian Health Practitioner Regulation Authority. Okay, so hi and welcome. Thank you for uh, inviting me. Thank you so much. No worries. I guess um, as we get started, can you give us a brief overview of uh, internet addiction? Um, And is it classified in DSM? Okay. Um, First, I would like to apologize for my thick Greek accent. (laughs) (laughs) It's a beautiful accent. (laughs) If at any point you feel... uh, it's difficult to understand me, please let me know. <laughs> I will, I will, absolutely. Okay, uh, so starting with internet addiction. No, internet addiction is not an officially recognized term, mm-hmm. despite the fact that there is a significant proportion of academics and researchers mm-hmm. who advocate in favor of it. Okay. However, the term internet gaming disorder and the term gaming disorder mm-hmm. are both officially recognized. Oh, interesting. So the term internet gaming disorder has been introduced as a provisional diagnosis in the appendix of the diag- of the DSM of DSM-5 mm-hmm. um, of the American Psychiatric Association in 2013 and gaming disorder irrespective of the use of the internet has been introduced as a formal diagnosis in the International Classification of Diseases in 2018 by World Health Organization. So, to keep things clear. Yeah. Internet addiction, gaming disorder, and internet gaming disorder are different things. Three different things, okay. Internet addiction is not officially recognized, and it refers to the addictive or excessive problematic use of the internet irrespective of the application of Mm -hmm. preference, Mm -hmm. while internet gaming disorder refers exclusively uh, to the abuse of internet games Mm -hmm. and gaming disorder to the abuse of of games, mm-hmm. irrespective of the use of the internet or not. Oh, okay. Wow. That's, yeah. <laughs> Hope I don't complicate no, things that's good. That's too good. much. So can internet addiction occur in people who might otherwise be mentally well, um, or is it a coping mechanism for people, um, say, with existing problems? Okay. That's, that's a very interesting question, actually. Um, overall addictions are considered as secondary disorders, which means that they, um, they constitute the problematic solutions of another problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, a main need, which is uh, common across all forms of addictions, behavioral or substance related, and I say behavioral because both internet addiction and gaming disorder or internet gaming disorder are considered, are suggested to be forms of behavioral addiction, is the need to moderate the way someone feels. Okay. 
So yeah. users may start saying, I, I started to feel better, but they continue to feel less bad. So mood modification is the basis for every form of addiction. Okay. And therefore, disorders related to uh, feelings of discomfort or distress, anxiety or depression uh, are usually primary disorders, uh, primary, primary mm-hmm. disorders be- behind addictions. Okay. Yeah. I hope I'm No, that makes absolute, makes absolute sense. So do you think that certain demographics would then be more prone to internet addiction than others? Um, once again, uh, we need to be clear here. Hmm. Um, addictions overall tend to be more prevalent across certain demographics considering gender. Mm-hmm. Usually it's more males than females. That was um, certain age ranges, adolescents and younger adults. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when it comes to cultures, that's a very interesting thing. Yeah. Addictions, while addictions overall tend to be more prevalent in more westernized countries, uh, what we call more individualistic cultures, mm-hmm. so cultures where the the person takes decisions based on what he or she needs and less on his or her need to belong in a group. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to gaming addiction, gaming disorder, this seems to be more prevalent in more collective cult- countries, cultures. Mm-hmm. So Asian societies, Korean, co- Korean uh, gamers and Chinese gamers mm. tend to be at higher risk. Mm. So, so keep in mind three, uh, three parameters. Gender, yeah. usually males. More collective cultures when it comes to internet addiction and gaming addiction. Mm-hmm. And younger individuals. And the reason that has been assumed scientifically uh, to explain why more collective cultures are at higher risk for these forms of addiction, Mm -hmm. internet addiction and internet gaming uh, disorder, is the online uh, relationships parameter. So people relate online. Uh, And they can do that there because they are unable or less able to do it in reality. So, so like a, almost socially awkward, that sort of thing. Is that what you mean? Or? Um, no, I mean, thank you for, for <laughs> allowing me to clarify a little bit. That's right. So um, what we do know is that cyber relationships yeah. are different to face-to-face relationships. Yeah. We have what we call the triple AA engine, anonymity, accessibility, affordability. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the ACE, anonymity, convenience and escapism. I can be who I want to be. Mm-hmm. I present the way I want to present. I I may not present characteristics of mine which may not make me feel that confident. Okay. And at the same time, I selectively perceive the other person with whom I'm interacting online. So cyber relationships are way more convenient and this is because they are half real, half unreal. It's half the imagination, mm. half reality, and they are less demanding. So um, because in cultures which tend to be more collective, relationships matter, people or individuals who have more difficulties in relating in real life mm-hmm. tend to compensate online. Uh, okay. Did I make sense no, or that, I talk too much? No, 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 that absolutely makes sense. That makes sense, yeah. Okay. So more confidence when they're online than in, than in real life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, website and app game developers, they tend to have like a, a clear vested interest in maximising the number of hours that people spend using their products. Um, do you believe that those companies are deliberately exploiting what we know about the psychology of addiction in order to make their products more addictive? Okay. 
first i need to be i need to be very careful here as a, <laughs> don't want to get in trouble <laughs> as a, yeah <laughs> of course i might get in trouble <laughs> um so let me say that what Broadly. we do know, what we do know is that there hasn't been a form of addiction mm. uh that hasn't accommodated profit i was going to say that's a always great someone yeah. makes profit from a form of addiction that develops yeah. Now, when it comes to the companies, without saying that they have an interest, mm-hmm. I would dare to say that they are aiming to make their products more uh, absorbing, attractive, or yeah. entertaining, as yeah. they would say. And they tend to manipulate psychological knowledge to three. Uh, when it comes to three aspects, mm-hmm. the first is the aspect of the uh, virtual context, which they try to make uh, more real. And there is a construct which we define as telepresence that describes the level that the virtual context uh, is being perceived as real, the sense of being there. Mm-hmm. And there are certain, I can be way more technical because no, no, it's my that's area. Good. <laughs> there are certain things that they can do there to, uh, to address that. Yeah. The second area that they tend to manipulate is uh, the, uh, the introduction of a system of progressively uh, higher challenges mm-hmm. within the context of the games mm-hmm. and rewards and mm-hmm. that builds up something that we call online flow which yeah. is the sense of absorbance immersion into the virtual activity yeah and it's what they call in the world of the games uh, level up yeah. in, the, in addiction <laughs> terminology we call that tolerance ah. higher doses yeah. are required for someone to achieve the same level of gratification yeah. and the third area of psychological psychological knowledge which is allow me to use the term manipulated yeah, yeah. by game production companies is uh, the user avatar relationship which is a very complex relationship mm-hmm. uh, avatar is uh, the figure of in-game representation yeah. of the gamers and it has been found we know now that this figure is defined the way this figure is present or customized mm-hmm. it's presented or customized is defined by four main needs identification i am who he is mm-hmm. immersion the needs of the in-game figure become my needs and get prioritized to my real life mm, needs okay. so the figure needs to participate in a raid or a competition in the world of the game mm-hmm. and this might be prioritized to my need to sleep eat or socializing reality, immersion. Yeah. The third is repression. The figure can do there things that I may not be able to do in real life. So the figure can be aggressive, can be violent, can be dismissive, and this would be something that I would be penalized for in real, in real life. life. Yeah. And the fourth element is idealization. The figure is who I would like to, to become. Be. Yeah. And there's a French psychiatrist, his name is uh, Tisseron, um, whom... It's very unfortunate. Every language I speak, I speak it with the same thick Greek accent. <laughs> uh, he suggested, um, he suggested that while in the past mm-hmm. the dreams were the royal way to understand the unconscious of a person, now the avatar has become the royal way to um, to understand the unconscious of mm-hmm. a person. Mm-hmm. And I might, I, I'm tempted to say that. We have recently, the international literature, started investigating the other way around. So how the behavior of the persona in the game defines the behavior in of the person life. in real life. Oh, wow. And uh, we know now that there is something that we call the Proteus effect. Proteus used to be a Greek god of transformations, whom, which describes how 
who I am in my real life defines my level of confidence, my self-perception and my behavior offline. I, I would um, attempt to say that, um, that aggressive behaviors uh, developed by gamers who play excessively aggressive games mm. um, have been to some extent uh, predicted and explained by the by the level of the game of their game involvement and so this is the more aggressive the more they play yes yeah okay. and this is because the sense of reality as I said yeah before is mixed yeah the fine line between augmented reality which is the world of the game and reality which is the real life uh, becomes very thin and I said augmented because the games are not unreal Mm. When I play with other gamers in real time and every avatar, every figure in mm. the world of the game represents another person and we have uh, monetization of the games, yeah. money, mm. we have virtual exchange um, uh, capacities. So I, there is um, an exchange rate between uh, the world of Warcraft currency mm-hmm. or the second life currency mm. and real currencies yeah. like cryptocurrencies. Yeah. That's not a, exactly a fantasy. It's a collective fantasy. It's half real, half unreal. Yeah. And one of my colleagues asked me um, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, if I could see any relationship, any link between what happened in, in Christchurch, Christ yeah. um, this violent behavior mm-hmm. committed by an excessive gamer of first, first, mm-hmm. um, first shooter games, yeah. um, and Proteus Effect. And I said that I cannot exclude it. And this yeah. is true. You yeah. can't exclude that. Mm. So it seems like it, you know, it's it's coming into the game, like their personality is coming into the gaming world, but then what's happening in their real life is being altered by the games yes. as well. And yeah. there are there are very significant pieces of research yeah. which validate that. Yeah. We now know. Yeah. And there are specific academic journals, Telepresence and Virtual Reality, mm. issued by MIT Press, which um, specifically address these topics, Computers in, hum- in Human Behavior, yeah. Cyber Psychology Behavior and, uh, and um, Social Networking, mm-hmm. that consistently refer to user-avatar relationships. Okay. But going back to your question, yeah. the most, which was about companies knowing or yeah. doing that, I'm not. Sh- I, I cannot say whether they do it on purpose, but they definitely know. In two thousand and nine, yeah. Linden, which is the company that produced Second Life, mm-hmm. um, publicized uh, on its website uh, that users, gamers playing Second Life, thirty uh, percent of them used to be online actively for more than three hundred hours per month, and there was an outcry in the U.S. back then, mm. ten years ago, mm. uh, because the company was aware that some gamers were playing 300 hours consistently and they were assuming that they could have um, a normal life. Of course, companies know Mm. and there is data, but unfortunately, legislation has not been imposed Mm. to oblige companies. Mm. Yeah, I guess this this leads on perfectly then to my next question, which was about massive multiplayer online role-playing games Um, because they've recently come under scrutiny for... Uh, especially high addictive potential. So what are the, some of the factors, I think, in that area that make them so addictive? MMORPGs. Yeah. <laughs> Massively multiplayer yeah. online role-playing games. And I guess, can you give a, an example of what one of those might be as well? Yeah, they, they, these games... Um, now I, I need to speak as a gamer myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right, so, so am I, so it's okay. <laughs> are you playing games? Oh, nice. Um, so MMORPGs are, are worlds... Um, where users can participate through 
um, creating a character or mm-hmm. multiple characters, mm-hmm. characters develop in um, in a way quite parallel to the way we function in real life. I count my my age in years. There they have levels, and you grow up level wise. Um, the same way that progressively over the lifetime, someone gets equipped, educated, has a profession, gains money, has transactions, social or professional with others. The same way in the world of the games, there is a professional activity. You know, in World of Warcraft, they have this profession that they choose yeah, to yeah, gain. Yeah. Um, you have currencies, you have groups, guilds or clans, and a sense of belonging, a sense of virtual community, SOVC mm-hmm. has been named. Um, you have virtual ties being formed. Um, while the game progresses in real time and independent of whether the user is online or not, mm. uh, which means that, as I said before, it's, like it's augmented reality, yeah, it's, it's like life. life. Yeah, it's exactly like that. So MMORPGs combine three things, mm. character development, mm-hmm. online socialization, and uh, as I said before, a, a system of constantly elevated Re- challenges and rewards yeah and they address socialization drives achievement drives and self-esteem drives this is what makes them irresistible and they do that in an augmented reality context okay yeah and the companies yes they are aware of what yeah. they produce okay well i guess um something that concerns me as a parent I know I played games when I was younger as well, but still things are changing and I feel like the games are getting more intense. What impact do you think internet connection, internet addiction can have on a healthy development of an adolescent? First of all, I need to say that it's interesting that you said when I was younger because you come across as very young. <laughs> I was playing games for a while, so it's all good. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Um, I have some good news there mm-hmm. and I, it's it's important to try to balance between being technophobic mm-hmm. and 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 being um, the opposite, which is, uh, you know, um, admiring, over-admiration of technology. Mm -hmm. Um, So what we do know research-wise is that uh, there is a trajectory, developmental trajectory, especially during adolescence, uh, where internet use of cyber relationship applications, including gaming, peaks, especially around the age of 16, and then uh, it tends to decrease. Uh Uh, But not for everyone. Oh, for select. Yeah. So the first thing, if an adolescent is before the age of 16 abusing games, it's a developmental trajectory. We now know. <laughs> we had uh, overtime studies which yeah. showed that. The second is that we do know that the first year of exposure to a new internet application um, can be quite absorbing, but that tends not to persist a year yeah. after. I can so the first that. is <laughs> older than 16. Yeah playing games more or pl- consuming an, a cyber relationship application for more than a year. Yeah. Uh, and the, the third element is uh, doing that irrespective of his or her real social context. So if I'm in the game and all my classroom or 70% of my classroom are in the game too. It's a way to socialize. We talk about it. Yeah. It's, it's and a there's to... a few games around that the kids do that now. Of course. Yeah, so that's yeah. not concerning. It's a way... Actually, it would be concerning if someone wouldn't participate. Yeah. What we do know research-wise is that in classrooms where the percentage of gamers is higher, the risk of, a, of an addictive behavior is lower. Yeah. yeah. It's a publication on addictive behaviors 2018. 17, I think, mm. if I recall well. 
So the internet is an amorphous tool that can be used in so many different ways. Do you think this poses any challenges uh, in classifying internet addiction as, say, a single disorder, given that one addict may spend all their time gaming and another one might be watching YouTube, for example? Oh, that's... It's too big. It's a big question. <laughs> and I talk too much, actually. Well, we've got about, oh, I don't know, seven minutes, so... <laughs> Look, if, you, if, you, if you understand 70% of what I say, we yeah. are on a good, on a good track. Um so let me tell you. First, it's not the amount of time that someone consumes online mm-hmm. that defines whether there is a problem or not. Yeah. Um, if I'm online eight or ten hours, because that relates to my work, um, I read literature for my research or I do things because this has to do with my real life income, mm-hmm. eh? that's not classified as an addiction. It's instrumental internet use. Okay. But if I'm online to feel better, to modify the way I feel, to escape from reality, to compensate for things that I don't have Mm -hmm, here, mm -hmm. uh, then that's a risk. And this is what we call ritualistic use of the internet. Now, when it comes to internet addiction overall, there is a debate that hasn't been resolved from the international community. It's only been addressed to some extent considering online games Mm -hmm. and gaming uh, in relation to, to whether it has different forms. And it has been suggested as early as in 1999, 20 years ago, Mm -hmm. we started this conversation and we still haven't (laughs) concluded, uh, that we have uh, different types of internet addiction. The first is the cyber relationship form of addiction, which is abuse of any... um, online interaction-related applications, chat rooms, social networking sites, gaming, and yeah. Cyber porn addiction, yeah. I'm online because I'm consuming cyber porn, mm-hmm. or I'm on applications like chat roulette without interacting with others in, in real life, mm-hmm. though, not for blind dating or stuff mm-hmm. like that, um, which apparently 70% of the population does. Wow. <laughs> yes, we, wow. Do, we do know that now. <laughs> 70%. Um and as early as in adolescence, they start. Yeah. Um, we have these two types. We have the compulsive internet use type, which refers to online gambling and uh, pathological buying online. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the cyber loafing form, which is uh, consumption of user of useless information on search engines. So when you get stuck down the rabbit hole yeah. looking for something and suddenly you're finding out how a llama sounds. Yeah, yeah. and you get consumed <laughs> by it. So we have different forms, but it's yeah. a debate that hasn't been resolved. When it comes to games, though, yeah. Yeah. the international community of um, mental health researchers has concluded that there is an issue. It's an addiction. It has been officially acknowledged in the two um, classification manuals, one from the APA, American Psychiatric Association, mm-hmm. in 2013, and the World Health Organization in 2018. And of course, how interesting, the, the gaming companies uh, complained. Oh, I bet. Complain. I bet. Well, they complained, <laughs> yeah. They complained. It's like bad publicity. Who wants that? <laughs> Who wants that? Indeed. Who wants that? Oh, dear. Well, you did mention um, about... I'm um, a little bit provocative. Ah, that, that's given good. My, that's given good. my Greek You're nature. You're in the right space. It's all good. That's what we want. Yeah. So um, you did mention um, pornogra- or pornography, online pornography. So do you think, what role do you think that plays in internet addiction? Uh, it's the second most common form yeah. uh, of addictive internet use. Mm. And to some extent, it's normal. So we know that it has developmental trajectories and 
uh, consumption of porn is normal mm-hmm. uh, more during adolescence and more prevalent among males. However, it can become problematic and when it comes when it comes to issues of telepresence, so mixing the real with the virtual mm. and uh, self-presence, identifying with the characters there, yes, we do have issues. Yeah. And research has shown that the earliest the earlier and the and the and the highest the exposure the highest the impact in personality um construction in the way that the personality develops okay and so how does that impact them in that way okay um the same way that in real life mm-hmm. we have more sensitive developmental trajectories mm-hmm. so um, if i'm consistently exposed to you when i'm three years old and when i'm five years old um it's going your behavior is going to have a higher impact okay. on me. It's so, internalization. Yeah. And the same thing happens with uh, with uh, exposure to cyberporn. Mm-hmm. And there are concerns there, mm. consider- considering how certain behaviors are normalized. Yeah. And oh, I guess also when you look from the violent nature of some pornography as well, or the way the women are depicted or different things like that. that yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. Yeah. But I need to say that it's not my area of expertise, while yeah. gaming is definitely my yeah. area of expertise. <laughs> That's okay. Um, I guess before we wrap up, um, what is the prognosis for those with internet addiction and how can the disorder best be managed? Okay. Um, Best be managed. First, I need to say that as with every other form of addiction, Mm -hmm. there are some some who make profit while the addiction is occurring. And of course, there is commercialization of therapy Mm -hmm. because when someone is addicted, people are making profit there. Um, In terms of management... We need um, therapeutic communities and not programs and not independent treatment because we know research-wise, it's evidence-based, that uh, what is missing from them is relationship skills, mostly, and this can be addressed uh, in in a group context. So group therapy is better In a group context, yes, of course. That's that's what we do know. Yeah. Um, And uh, the prognosis. We have addiction-hopping uh, issues. So someone can uh, start with this form of addiction and then transfer into another. Uh, but of course, for the majority of individuals below 16, before 16, uh, it's it constitutes a normal developmental trajectory. So mothers should not be worried <laughs> excessively <laughs> unless this persists. Fantastic. Okay. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Vas, for coming on the show today and sharing your knowledge with our listeners. Uh, you can find more of our shows at the website brainwaves.org.au on 3CR website, 3cr.org.au um, or on iTunes. Feel free to send us feedback or suggestions for shows via email at brainwaves at wellways.org. And thanks for listening. Uh, we'll be back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. for another episode of Brainwaves on 3CR. And next up is Wings. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.